this morning we're in the series we're in is called back to the basics so as Kayla mentioned in our opening um, I want to be talking this morning about one of the basic fundamental disciplines of the Christian life I want to talk to you about prayer now if I were to do a poll in in the crowd today and say you know, if, if, and ask you this question, what would you say that the key to a good marriage is? What is the answer we have all learned about? What is the key to a good marriage? The answer is communication. If I asked, if I polled 100 of you, I'd probably get the answer communication 90 of those 100 times. And the reason we've realized that is because we understand that you cannot have a relationship with someone without communication. Communication causes health in a relationship. And that, that also has to do with our relationship with God. We cannot have a healthy, vibrant relationship with God without prayer. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go uh, on a hunting trip with my sons. All the men in the house. Right? That was kind of weak, but okay. <laughs> I had an opportunity to go on a hunting trip with my sons. And um, if you know my sons, you know that, that Garrett and Caitlin, they have three little children. And then Jess and Jade, they have two children. So when I invite the sons to go on a hunting trip, I'm well aware that there's a chance there for me to have a riff with my daughter-in-laws. Because while we're out enjoying the woods, they're home changing diapers right and so I did my groundwork like like talking to the daughter-in-laws like hey y'all good you know is it okay that we do this and and they they both got their yard passes you know and uh and so off we went but it was interesting that as we were hunting throughout the day um you'd, you'd see them grab the phone and you'd see them call home and when they did I'd think that a boy because listen the atmosphere of the house when you return to it is very much connected to how well you communicate with your wife while we're on this trip. And so throughout the day, they even had Chad Myers was with it, and they, they have a little one, and I could see them throughout the day. Thank God I'm an empty nester. I don't know, can the empty nesters in the house just say amen? I mean, it's just a beautiful time. But these other people I knew... That whether, when, you know, when they pulled up in the driveway, whether they were going to be able to enter the house or not was contingent on how well they communicated because communication really is the key to a good relationship and communication with God through prayer is key to you and I having a vibrant relationship with God. And, and all of us know, I mean, there's not a Christian in the house that doesn't know that you should pray right? I mean, we all know that we should do it, but what I find is that many of us don't. I, I do believe part of the American society and the quickness and the, 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 the busyness of the American pace of life is not conducive to setting time aside for the stillness and quietness of prayer. So I would say that I think, I think prayer is a challenge for the American church, but I think there's two main reasons why people don't pray. First of all, there's a lack of motivation, it's just, we, we just hadn't had the want to, to have a prayer life. Secondly, though, I believe the other hindrance to prayer is that we don't know how to pray. 
And so this morning, I want to address both of those. First, I want to begin by hopefully inspiring you and giving you motivation to pray. And then secondly, we'll teach you how to pray. And so grab your Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 145. And I want to speak toward the motivation for prayer, help you understand why it is so important for us to pray. And I believe this is going to speak to you because the Word of God is living and active. The Word does what it's meant to do. Can I hear an amen? And so when we look in the Word, it changes us. In Psalm 145, verse 18, the passage says this, The Lord is close to all who call upon Him. Yes, to all who call upon Him in truth. Our main motivation, I could tell you a thousand reasons why I believe we should pray, but this morning, I'm just going to give you one. And that one motivation is found in this passage because here's what I truly believe, church. That the closeness with God that all of us desire, it's found in prayer. When we pray, when we call on his name, we find a closeness with God. All of us have been in a situation at some point or another in our life when we've said, where is God? You know where God is? He's on the other side of your prayer. So God is close to those who pray and some of you may be sitting here and saying well why does why does closeness matter why would I want to be close with God well I'll just give you a couple of clues from scripture first of all the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom so I want to tell you your freedom to your addiction is found in the presence of God the freedom for your depression is found in the presence of God the freedom from fear and anxiety and hang-ups and habits it's in the presence of God and so as God's spirit gets close to us, the book of James, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse at the very beginning, it says this, that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Closeness with God is waiting on the other side of prayer. I believe that's the first reason we should pray. Let me just give you another little bonus reason. That when you pray with someone, when you and another person pray together, it brings closeness in that relationship. A couple of weeks ago, Lori and I were invited uh, to a pastor's retreat in Virginia. And I really didn't even know these other pastors I was going with. The guy who invited me, uh, we knew him and his wife and valued them. And so we, we went to Virginia. Didn't even really know what we were going to do when we got there. What we found was that this whole retreat was geared to inspire and motivate pastors to continue in their prayer life. And, and many of you may, may be sitting here going, well, pastors don't struggle with prayer. I mean, you just assume because I'm standing up here that I probably spend eight hours a day in prayer. And if I spend eight hours, Laurie probably spends nine. I mean, we just assume pastors like, well, they, they just sit around and pray all day. Can I tell you something? Can I be vulnerable and honest with you for a minute? It's, it's not only is it possible, it's easy in ministry to sometimes slip into your gifting and your skill set and your talents and work from there and forget to call on heaven to get God's answer, God's design. God, listen, God, I got this. It happens in churches every day. And I can tell you, it happened to me. And even that retreat, I was so reminded. The Bible tells us, it kind of lays out the, the, uh, the to-do to list for pastors in, early in the book of Acts. When the first church is getting, is getting born and it begins to grow and, and there's a lot of needs in the church. And I want you to know there's always needs in the church. 
But the, the God led the, the apostles to bring other people, to bring structure into the church because he wanted the pastors to do this. Listen to me now. The, the pastors, the leaders of the church, this was the job description. You ready? Give yourself to prayer and the preaching of the word. It rocked me because as a pastor, I get lost. I mean, my job is to inspire the staff, to have vision, to, you know, do this, to do this. And I had gotten so busy that I forgot that the one job I'm supposed to have is to pray and to, to preach the word. Now, I don't know what you think I ought to be doing, but I just want you to know that I got a word from my boss. My job is to pray and, and preach the word. You may have a thousand programs you want me to do. God bless you. Go ahead and launch the program. We'll mention it from the pulpit. My job is to pray and preach the word. So this was a reminder to me. And actually, while we were there, one of the speakers at this retreat gave Laurie and I a little book that he and his wife had written together. And it was 21 days of prayer for couples. It was just this little tiny book. Of course, I threw it in my book bag and get back home. And as soon as I get back home, it's just time to go to work again, right? So let's just get back on the mission. But thank God for a wife who wouldn't let me get back on mission without first focusing on prayer. So she pulls out the little book and waves it at me. 21 days of prayer for spouses, right? And of course, I said, yes, baby. No, (laughs) it was one of those. (gasps) I know none of you other guys do that, right? And I was like, okay, she wants me to pray again, you know, whatever. But fine, whatever. So, So we grabbed this little book, and what we started doing was that every night, before bed she and I would sit there and read this little book and it had a daily reading for something that that couples should be praying together for for their families and so we would read this and then we would pray together and what I found is you know day one was good day four was better day eight was really good because as we prayed together, I mean, we, would, we never prayed without touching one another. I mean, it was like we were holding hands. And, and next thing you know, there was more than, than a physical connection. There was a spiritual connection as she and I began to pray over our families. Not only was God moving close to us, but we were moving close to one another. Why am I saying this? Because listen to me, church, let me challenge you. Couples, we need to pray together. couples we need to pray together we need to pray with their families listen prayer will move your family together it'll bring the presence of God and it'll move you closer to one another Christians families we need to pray together so hopefully now understanding the value of this you'll feel some motivation toward prayer but now the second reason why people don't pray is often they don't know how to pray Many of us have been in church for years and we've never actually been taught to pray. Well, thank God you and I are fortunate because in the Bible we find Jesus is in that same situation. Remember that Jesus had 12 disciples. Now, disciple is is a church word for mentoring. Jesus was mentoring these 12 men. Plus, there were other women and other other men around there. There was a group that Jesus was discipling or mentoring. And so he actually taught his disciples, his protégés, he taught them prayer. So today ought to be the best message that Jody LaFleur has ever preached. Because all I'm going to do is teach what Jesus taught his disciples. 
My job is to disciple you in the same way that Jesus' job was to disciple his disciples. So we're going to take his word and do it that way. And I ought to have 20 people come up to me after service and say, Jody, that was the most amazing message ever because it's straight from the mouth of Jesus. So we're going to look in the Bible in Matthew chapter 6. So if you'll turn there in your Bible, and we're just going to kind of go through verse by verse how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But let me set it up for you. Okay, let's get context for what we're about to read. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, we see what Jesus begins teaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever heard that? You ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Let me, let me blow your mind with revelation. You know why it's called that? Because he preached a sermon while he was standing on a mountain. Somebody say, well. All right, so the Sermon on the Mount. So in chapter 5, we see Jesus. And, and here's what it is. I, I, I love picturing this. I don't know, my imagination gets involved in my scripture reading. But at the beginning of, of chapter 5, what we see is that Jesus already had a lot of influence in the culture around him because he had been teaching and he had been healing people. And so a lot of people wanted to hear what Jesus was saying. So the Bible said that Jesus looks up and he sees all these people hanging around because they want to hear what the rabbi would teach. And so there's hundreds, possibly thousands of people gathered around close to Jesus. But in chapter 5, at the beginning of chapter 5, it says that Jesus called his disciples to him. So here's the way I picture it. There's the disciples right here in front of Jesus. And he's almost talking like he's ignoring the fact that there's thousands of people behind his disciples. Because he begins to teach his disciples and so the Sermon on the Mount was aimed at the disciples, but I have a feeling Jesus gave a little extra volume to his teaching so that the people way in the back could hear. And in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of what he does, it's an introduction to kingdom living. They, they knew how to do life. They knew how to do life the ordinary way, but he was ushering in a new kingdom, and so he was just kind of telling them what life in the kingdom looks like. And he hit random subjects about life. He talked about marriage. He, he, he talked about giving. He talked about all the, the things that affect life. But he was talking about it through a kingdom paradigm. And so eventually he gets to prayer. And so he teaches his disciples how to pray in this Sermon on the Mount. Now pick up with me. We're in Matthew chapter 6. And let's see what Jesus said specifically teaching his disciples about prayer and what we can learn from it. Beginning in verse 5, it says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, Pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. First thing, if we want to learn how to pray, we need to understand that prayer is not a production, it's personal. Prayer is not a production. So many of us, when we pray, we got to slip into King James language. Oh, thou heavenly father. And we all get some kind of weird accent going, Right? And, and, and it's, this, it's this production. Listen, prayer is personal. It's not a production. And what he's saying, he calls them hypocrites. And what, he, when he, what the word hypocrites there mean is insincere people. So what he's saying is a sincere person doesn't worry about the show of a prayer. He understands that prayer is personal and said, in fact, instead of doing it in the open, 
Go into your room, shut the door, close the door. What does that mean? Here's, here's what I believe it means, is that every one of us believers ought to have some point in our day where we shut out everything else that is going on in our world and that we communicate with our Heavenly Father because what we know is that communication is the key to a good relationship and you cannot know God if you do not talk to Him personally. And so what he's saying to them is, hey, don't, don't do this big show and go out in public. No, that's not prayer. Prayer is when you personally go into your... He even says this, that God who is in the secret place. Some of us, we look for God everywhere except in the secret place. The secret place is behind a closed door. When you set aside, when I set aside time to go get with my father and begin to communicate with them. So the first thing we've learned is that prayer is personal, not a production. Continue reading with me in verse 7. It says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Here's the, the next thing we can learn about prayer is that prayer is relational, not repetitive. Some of us have grown up in, in denominations or faiths where the only thing we learned about prayer was what I'm, I'm going to term, I'm going to give a term for these, and I don't mean it to be too derogatory, but I think, I think it'll help you get the picture. The only thing we've learned was canned prayers. Like prayer for us was just reciting something that someone taught me to recite. And let me just tell you, church, there's a place for that. There's been times in this church where I've stood up and led us all in the Lord's Prayer, right? So I'm not saying that's absolutely wrong, but if the only prayer life you have is repeating something that's been taught to you, you're missing the intimacy of prayer. It reminds me of when I was taught the Pledge of Allegiance in school. Here I am, six years old. I pledge allegiance. I don't even know what allegiance is. To the United States of America and to the republic. I don't know what a republic is. And some of you sitting here today still don't know that America is a republic. No, it's a democracy. Actually, it's a democratic republic. You just learned something. You can go home now and say that you've learned something, right? But, you know, you get it? And, and my hand's over my heart. I don't know why my hand's over my heart. Principal Poole just told me to put my hand over my heart. Right? Isn't that the way we learned? That's what's funny. At that age, you don't appreciate any of it. Now I say the Pledge of Allegiance in tears. <laughs> I pledge allegiance. It's so heartfelt, you know, because I get it now in my age. But back then, I didn't know what I was doing. And a lot of times, if all we do is these canned prayers, there's no heart attached to it. So what he's saying here is, is, come on, go set time aside. Go in the quietness and begin to talk to me. So in these first two points, Jesus told us what not to do. When teaching about prayer, he said, here's what you don't do. Don't make a production of it. And then don't just go in there and recite Ken's prayers. But then he kicks in with actually teaching them what to do. So join me in chapter, I mean, in verse 9 of Matthew 6. This is when the Lord begins using what we call the Lord's Prayer, and he gives instructions here. It says this, In this manner, pray, or therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now stop with me, because I believe there's something we can learn here. Because I believe in this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was giving us a template for prayer. 
I don't think that Jesus meant that we are to pray this prayer over and over and over again. The reason I don't think that is because in the verse previous, he told us not to just use repetitive prayer. So Jesus is giving them the template of the Lord's prayer. And he began in this way. He said, first of all, when you initiate the conversation with God, initiate it this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is he saying? He says, I'm talking to my Father, dot, 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 who is holy. And he's introducing this balance that you and I have in our relationship with God. First of all, we're, this is a person with whom you and I are in a father-child relationship with. That's our father. But not only that, he's, it's someone in, in, that we're in relationship with that is obviously out of our league. Because when it says hallowed there, what, what it means is, is that God is holy. Holy means consecrated, set apart. Let me give you a word, you ready? God is other than. And so he's addressing him, first of all, as father, but also as someone who is other than. He's addressing God in his otherness. And I don't know if you, if you wrestle with this in your relationship with God, but I do. I mean, when I pray, when I begin my prayer, I usually begin in the Our Father neighborhood. It reminds me of when I call my own dad. You know, when I call my dad on the phone and he answers, I don't say, my father who art on Houston River Road. All right? Usually something like, hey, Dad, got a minute? All right? And so when I start my prayer, it sounds more like, hey, Dad, got a minute? And, and so there's that father-child relationship because this is someone who loves me and who I love. And so it ought to just be that intimate and connected and so there's, there's that aspect of it. But then also in my prayer life, there are times when I will just acknowledge, acknowledge who he is and begin to thank him and bless him for his otherness. Am I landing with you guys? There's two aspects to this. There's the father who is holy. And so Jesus is teaching us to appreciate and acknowledge both of those relationships. He continues in verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If this prayer is a template, what, it, what is this part of us teaching or this part of this prayer teaching us? Here's, here's what I believe this verse says to us. That obviously in this relationship between me and God, there are two agendas. He has an agenda and I have an agenda. But what Jesus is modeling here, church, please listen to this. Jesus is modeling, yes, I have an agenda, but I want you to know that I will subjugate my agenda to yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's acknowledging his lordship in our life, and I don't think there's enough of that in the American church where we say, Lord, let your will be done, not mine. Let your business plans happen, not my business plans. So I believe Jesus is teaching us. If he's teaching his disciples how to pray, so he's, he's teaching them to acknowledge the lordship of God and the supremacy of God's will over mine. I believe it's a beautiful thing to, mo to model. Picked up in verse 11, he says this, give us this day our daily bread. In this, it's teaching us to acknowledge the fact 
that God is our provider. And you know, I believe in this country we are facing some real challenges. In the last couple of hundred years, we've had a pretty good run. And, and things have been good, but I believe there's maybe some challenges ahead of us for our nation. And, and those of us who have only said God is my provider, but we've never had to live it out, I believe we've got some stressful days coming. But we're going to have to learn to rely on the provision of God. And what Jesus is saying here is in your prayer life, acknowledge the fact to, to God that, Lord, you are my provider. To the fact that if I'm going to eat today, it's because you have provided for me. And so he's teaching us to acknowledge the daily provision of God. If you would read, continue, if you'd continue to read in chapter 6, we'd get to verse 33, remember, at the end of this chapter when he's saying to them like, hey guys, remember, don't be concerned with what you're going to eat. Don't be concerned with what you're going to wear. He says, your father knows that and he has made provision for it. He said this, go ahead and seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and I'll, all these things will be added unto you. So what Jesus is teaching them is to rely, put their faith on the provision of God. So in our prayer life, you and I all have needs, things we need to bring to the Lord. It's acknowledgement in the fact that if there's any good thing in my life, it's a gift from my Father. Can you and I just agree on that? Listen, I don't care how talented you are. If there's anything good in your life, it's a gift of God. Every, every single bit. Continue reading with me. In verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's teaching us here in our prayer life, first of all, to acknowledge and understand our own weaknesses and vulnerabilities. The fact that, Lord, daily I need your grace. There has not yet been a day in Jody LaFleur's life where God's grace has not been necessary for me. We need his grace every day. So much so that as I begin to acknowledge my need for his grace, it actually helps me extend grace toward others. I don't know if you've had, if you've had this experience, but the, the more I become aware of my weaknesses and my need for God's grace on my weaknesses, the more gracious I am for you and your weaknesses. What you find is that people are judgmental and critical. They're not introspective enough to know that they need God's grace just as much as anybody else. And so when I acknowledge and receive God's grace daily, I'm then able to extend it to others. And that's part of showing the love of God. So in this model prayer, Jesus is, is telling us, hey, in your prayer time, Go ahead and acknowledge your weaknesses before the Lord. Receive, receive from him the grace and mercy that you need to proceed. Finally, in verse 13, it goes on to say, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me stop right there. Says, don't lead us into temptation. What is, what is he teaching us to do? He's teaching us in, in our prayer life to acknowledge the fact that you and I need daily protection. We need to live under the hand of his protection. Recently, like I said, when we were on those trips, I, I left my home and I left Lori there by herself. Now, she was armed. In fact, we were on the phone and she's getting the gun out going, okay, now what do I do here? I'm like, just first of all, make sure it's pointed in the right direction, you know. 
And so we're going over that again. But, you know, when I left, Lori and my home wasn't under my protection. That doesn't mean it wasn't protected because it was under the protection of the Most High, right? And everything that I am and that pertains to me was underneath his protection. And so in this prayer, Jesus is teaching us to acknowledge and ask for God's protection, for his provision, for his covering over us. And then it goes on to end in this way, and I love the end of this prayer because there's several places in the word where it says things like, you, Jesus, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, and can I keep adding on? Yours is the majesty, yours, Lord God, is everything that's worthwhile, yours, it's you, it's you, it's you, you are the one I love, you are the one I adore, you are my protection, you are my provision, you are my rock, you are my stability, you are my peace, you are my healing, you are my hope. You see what he's doing? He's teaching us to incorporate praise into our prayer. Because some of us, by the time we get to amen, we have moaned our way through way too many things. And we've done our begging and pleading, but I want you to know that prayer, our prayer ought to include praise. And those things I've been praying for, those things, those provisions that I ask for, this is my time to say, Lord, and the, no, the reason I know that I'll be provided for because you are my provider. You, we sang it a minute ago, you have never failed. You didn't fail my grandfather. You didn't fail my dad. You're not going to fail me. You're not going to fail my children. You're not going to fail my grandchildren. You are the God who is faithful to a thousand generations. <laughs> Begin to speak that in your prayer. So our prayer ought to include praise. So every one of us know that one of the basics of the Christian life is prayer, but so many of us have gotten so busy are so distracted that we don't have a vibrant prayer life. And so hopefully what I've done here this morning is first of, all, first of all motivate you to pray, to experience that closeness with God and with your spouse and the others who you pray with. Secondly, to give you some hints on how to pray. And this is what I just read to you is exactly how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And look what, what they did with it. They changed the world with this. And so... If you'll look, though, remember this is in Matthew chapter 6. If you look at the other account of this in the other gospel of Luke chapter 11, you'll find that this whole teaching on prayer was initiated by a person's question. In Luke chapter 1, we see that one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so my hope is that today, that we, the people of God, will make the same request of him. Lord, teach me to pray. I'm looking at faces to see who this is landing with because I believe God is calling us into a deeper prayer life. I believe God is longing for communication with his family. And my question is you, to you is, are you brave enough to say, Lord, teach me to pray? Would you stand with me, please? If that's what the disciples asked, I think it would be perfectly acceptable for you and I to ask, make the same request of God. So would, could I encourage everybody in the house, would you please bow your heads? And if this res has resonated in your heart, then I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer 
ask God to teach you to pray. Every believer in here, ask God right now. Say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Lord, I stand before this house, this room full of people, and, and the majority of us, the vast majority of us in here would claim to be your children. And so, Lord, I say on behalf of, of this entire family, would you forgive us when we've neglected prayer? If we've gotten too busy to pray, would you forgive us? And then, Lord, I ask, would you teach us to pray? Jesus, you said that my house shall be known as a house of prayer. Not a house of programs, a house of prayer. Lord, do this work in us. Pray that you would begin to revive a heart for prayer, for quietness, for stillness before you. Lord, that people would learn to hear your voice. We'd, first of all, that we would hunger to hear your voice. And then second of all, we'd position ourselves in prayer to hear your voice. This is my sincere request, God. Do it in us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...